Hello and welcome to the Catherine Plano podcast. Yes, we have a new show with new episodes. The format of the show is a little bit different. It is broken up into three parts. The first part, Moments of Awe, where I share actionable tips, strategies and coaching models that you can implement in your daily life for massive improvements. And a new part of the show, Tips from My Pen, where I share my insights from my morning pages. And last but not least, Purposeful Conversations with our Radical Shift series, where we have honest chats with change instigators, compelling creators, and interesting humans who are breaking the cycle of convention and redefining success one mission at a time. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning, connection, and resilience into your life. Now let's jump into your weekly dose of practical goodness. Today we have a super amazing human being for you. We have Dr. Joe Vitale, who is an author, speaker, musician, marketing expert, and movie, TV, and radio personality. His many best-selling books include The Attractor Factor, The Key, Faith, Attract Money Now, and Zero Limits. His latest releases are At Zero, The Awakened Millionaire, and The Miracle, Six Steps to Enlightenment. A popular star in several movies, including The Secret as an expert on the law of attraction, Joe has appeared on Larry King Live, Donnie Deutsch, The Big Idea, CNN, CNBC, CBS, ABC, Fox and Friends, and Extra TV, and in the New York Times and Newsweek. Dr. Joe created a miracles coaching program to help people achieve their dreams. He has also recorded many Nightingale content audio programs, including The Awakening Course, The Missing Secret, The Secret of Attracting Money, The Abundance Paradigm, The Ultimate Law of Attraction Library, and The Zero Point. His most recent accomplishments include being the world's first self-help singer and songwriter as seen in 2012's Rolling Stone magazine. To date, Joe has released 15 albums. Several of his songs were recognized and nominated for the Posse Award, which is the uh, Grammys of Positive Music. This man, once homeless, is today a best-selling author who believes in magic and miracles. Let's get into the secrets of Dr. Joe Vitale. So enjoy. So welcome to Radical Schist. Today we have Dr. Joe Vitale. How are you today? I'm awesome. I've been looking forward to this. You're doing some great stuff, so I'm honored to be here. Thank you. 
Oh, we're honoured to have you. And we were just explaining how different um, we, we, we are at the opposite ends of the world and it's 6 o'clock in the morning at my end and 3 o'clock in the afternoon at your end. That's right, yes. I'm in beautiful Texas on a sunny day and you're down in Australia in one of my favourite cities. And yes. I guess it's winter. It is, hence the layers. Exactly. <laughs> so... Uh, Joe, what we'd like to do is before we start the show for our viewers is everyone has a story to tell um, and, uh, and life is a story in itself. So, Joe, what does your story say? Oh, goodness. Uh, the short story is that I was homeless back in the 1970s. I was in poverty for about 10 years. I wanted to be an author, but I was struggling going through the dark night of the soul I occasionally had some successes. I had a play produced in 1979. I was broke before, and I was broke after it, but I had a play produced. I had my first book in 1984, Zen in the Art of Writing, and it was cause for celebration because I was finally published, but it was great disappointment because I realized publishers don't know anything about marketing books. When I learned marketing, and I became a marketer and a copywriter, made a name for myself, started publishing my book, started getting clients who wanted marketing from me. And as time goes on, there were some great successes, like the internet came along. And when the internet came along, I simply did what I was already doing, but put it online. And then the globe started to notice this guy who was doing marketing and copyright. And I started writing spiritual books. And then one day, a movie producer from Australia calls me up and says she wanted to make a movie about the law of attraction and she wanted me in it. And I didn't know what this was about, but I said yes. And that ended up being the secret. And the secret, of course, has changed hundreds of thousands of lives, including this guy's. And from there, the sky's not even the limit. I mean, I travel, I speak, I'm a musician, I have 16 albums out, I have 76 books out, I have a Miracles coaching course, I do all kinds of things that I'm following my passion to achieve. But that's the short story. I mean, it was not an overnight success unless you count. If, if you define overnight as 30 years, then I'm an overnight success. Well, Joe, how do you find the time to do everything? I don't do everything at once. And that's the key. Because people often ask that question, how do you write 76 books? How do you record 16 albums? And I tell them, I didn't do it today. <laughs> I do it over a lifetime. When I wrote my first book in 1984, I didn't know I'd write a second book. When I wrote the second book in the 90s, I think, I didn't know there'd be a third book. And here I am with 76 books, and I have five other ideas for books. But you just do one thing at a time, and as you do it, you look back at some point and you have a career, you have a library, you have a pattern of success, but I don't do everything all at once. It's all paced. Today has its own joy. Today has its own duties. And one of them is this great interview with you. Thank you so much. So Joe, what was that radical shift for you in your life? What was that turning point over that pivot point for you? I think I've had several, but I want to go all the way back to the, the homeless poverty struggle years because a real radical turning point for me was to awaken to the idea that my beliefs were creating my reality. 
I had read it, I had heard it, but I didn't actually grasp it in that internal way that triggers a transformation. And, but when I realized that my beliefs were creating my reality, I had to ask myself, what would I believe that would make me suffer so much? What must I have had as a belief system that would have made me homeless? My God, homeless. And in poverty for 10 years, what was there? And when I awakened to the idea that I believed I had to struggle, I believed that the great authors I admired went through dramatic, unhappy lives, and that was the curriculum that I had to go through. I believed that unconsciously, deep down. But when I awoken to the idea that I don't have to believe that, that I can find authors who are happy, well-adjusted, successful, prolific, productive, profitable, and then model those guys and gals and get their beliefs and change my thinking, that's when the turning point was. That was the radical awakening, if you will. Learning that beliefs were creating and still do our reality. So was that your driving force? What you explained uh, from what I understood actually is that uh, your belief was that you had to work really hard and struggle to be an author. Right. So that was your driving regardless that you were struggling. You kept pushing yourself forward because you knew at the end of it, you'll have a book. Well, I hoped at the end of it, I would have a published book because yeah. I certainly knew how to write a book and have a pile of pages uh, stacked up. But to be a published author was another thing. And that's what I was struggling with. But you have to remember, the authors I admired were people like Jack London. Jack London wrote The Call of the Wild and White Fang and Martin Eden. And most people don't know he wrote 50 some books. And most people don't know he died by the age of 40 as a suicide. He had an adventurous life that I admired, and I thought, oh, if I can only be like Jack London. Jack London is this American phenomena, best-selling author, adventurer, and so forth. So a part of my mind thought, i got to be unhappy like him. i got to go through drama like him. I didn't do that consciously. I didn't sit there and go, oh, I'm going to go and create a strategy of destruction in my life in order for me to be a celebrated author after my life. No, I didn't sit down and do that. I also admired Ernest Hemingway. Ernest Hemingway was an alcoholic. He was unhappy. He probably had bipolar. He ended up as a suicide as well. A part of me thought these great authors must have to go through this trauma in order to be great. And it wasn't until I awoke to the idea that these are actually beliefs. That's not reality. You can make it reality based on your beliefs, but it's not reality. When I changed my beliefs, I got a different reality. Today, I live the lifestyle of the rich and famous. I'm not going to do what Ernest Hemingway did or Jack London did. I got a happier life, and I'm doing these wonderful things because I changed my beliefs. So, so talk us through a day in the life with Joe. So when these negative beliefs or limiting beliefs come up, because I'm, I'm not sure that's if you still have them, uh, what's your trick? I mean, how do you turn it around? We all have them. Yeah, we do. And I think that's an important thing to realize because a lot of people will beat themselves up thinking, well, they still have limiting beliefs. Well, I mentioned I'm a musician. I decided to be a musician as I was getting closer to the age of 60. So it was on my bucket list. But I also realized I had no musical skills, no musical education. I, the only thing I ever played was a harmonica. I didn't know how to write songs, didn't know how to sing, didn't know how to be in the studio. I didn't know how to do any of this, but I wanted to. 
And as soon as I decided I wanted to, all the fears came up, all the limitations came up, all of the self-doubt came up. It was amazing to see this man who had already achieved so much in other field, uh, other fields, from movies to TV to the books to the you know audios and speaking, all of which I had my own struggles to accomplish. Here I am now going through the very same thing, but in a different field. Now it's with music. So one of the things I did, and I do this all the time, is go and read all of the material I can by people who are already successful in those fields. I want to find out what they're thinking. I want to find out what they're believing that's different than what I'm believing. And I remember I also attended a workshop with Ray Wiley Hubbard, who's a local musician. It's pretty well known in Texas. And I remember him saying he still had doubts when he went to go write a song or he often went to go perform and he's already successful. He's already accomplished, but he learned to ask himself this question. And this is one of my tricks. Where's the proof that you can't do it? Where's the proof? There isn't any proof. There isn't. It's your mind playing games. It's your mind trying to protect you. It's your mind trying to keep you safe. But when you realize that there's no proof that you can't sing or dance or perform or open a business or whatever it is that you want to do. And I also know that I've never climbed a mountain. But if I decided that I was going to be a mountain climber next week, I'd have fears. I go, oh, am I too old to do that? Am I too out of shape to do that? I don't know how to do that. Do I have the oxygen capacity? I mean, I would have questions. I'd have concerns. I'd have doubts. I'd be second guessing myself. But what have I learned to do? Question my beliefs. I question my beliefs. In other words, if something comes up like, oh, you're too out of shape to go climbing a mountain. Well, maybe I am right now. But isn't there a way to get into shape to go climb a mountain? And then if I say something like, well, I don't know how to do it. Yeah, that's true. I don't know how to do it. But are there coaches, mentors, and mountain climbers available to teach me how to do it. Yes, there are. So whatever it happens to be in terms of a belief that bubbles up, I've learned to stop, respect it, question it, and release it. And when you do, you're free. I love that. So, so the way you, to move forward, if there's no evidence in this limiting belief that you have, uh, how do you break through that? You just ignore it saying, it's not real. It's not true. Well, it's definitely not true to begin with, but I got to respect it long enough because it's a belief that somehow I've bought into. It's a belief that has shown up in my life that most likely came from somebody else. I mean, we've all been programmed by family, friends, culture, uh, religion, our school system. I mean, we've downloaded all this information. Most of it's designed to keep us in survival. Most of it's designed to keep us safe, not designed to have a radical shift in our lives and actually go for and achieve what we want. So, whenever these beliefs come up, I want to pause and I want to ask, is this something that is actually a fact that everybody agrees on, that is an indisputable scientific fact, or is it a belief? If it's a belief, it's open for change. Mm, I love that. So Joe, I'd like to shift gear a little bit and talk about the law of attraction, because I think sure. that's what the, the secret was all about, really. So talk us through for our viewers who, who doesn't really grasp what is the law of attraction and how does one use the law of attraction? 
Well, in the, the most simplistic form, the law of attraction is the principle that you tend to bring into your life what you are focused on the most. That's in a very simplistic form. And the movie, The Secret, I love The Secret. I encourage everybody to watch The Secret. I tell people to watch it whether I was in it or not, because I think it's a great movie. And I also defend the movie because I say it's only a movie. It's introducing the law of attraction. It doesn't go into the deeper layers of the law of attraction. But where we all want to begin is with the idea that you tend to pull into your life the things you love, the things you hate, and the things you fear. Love, hate, and fear. They're emotional activators. And what they're activating is your brain. When you're focused on something you love, you hate, or you fear, you're telling your brain to look for it in the outer world. When it sees it, it brings it to you. This is the law of attraction. It's bringing you a match to what you are already focused on. So what we want to do to have a radical change in our lives and actually to awaken to a better life is to focus more on what we want, not on what we fear, not on what we hate. What do we love? What would we welcome into our lives? What's passionate for us? What excites us? What turns us on? And if it is music or mountain climbing or writing books or baking cookies, whatever it happens to be, you focus on that. You start to imagine, use your visual uh, capabilities, and you imagine what your life would be like doing that. And you start to feel it in your body. If you're actually making loaves of bread that you're proud of, what does it feel like for you to actually live that and do that and breathe that? And then you start watching your thoughts so that you have thoughts that are happier and more positive. And you learn how to choose the thoughts that feel better for you. And with all of this, you're activating the law of attraction to bring you exactly what you love. So you move out of the hate, you move out of the fear, you move out of all of those limitations, and now you use the law of attraction to have a glorious life. Mm. So we're like magnets. We basically, depending on our vibration, is what we attract. Yet, I find that most uh, individuals do focus on the things they don't want. I don't want to be fat. I don't want to be poor. I don't want to be sick. Instead right. of looking at what they want. Yeah. Well, I wrote a book called The Attractor Factor, and The Attractor Factor was the reason I got into the movie The Secret, that Rhonda Byrne was loaned a copy of The Attractor Factor. She read The Attractor Factor, then she searched me, called me up, put me in her movie, and the rest is history. But in that book, I said the very first step in activating the law of attraction is to know what you don't want. It's important to know what you don't want. The problem is too many of the people, not your viewers and listeners, but the people on the outside there, that's all they focus on is what they don't want. And as a result, they're always getting what they don't want. If they're saying that I always have a headache, I always can't find the perfect person to go for a date or I can't bring in the money or whatever, they keep repeating that. And they're using the law of attraction to actually stay there. So I say that's the first step. What you want to do is turn the first step into the second step, which means declare what you do want. So you take the first step. I don't want to be broke. Okay, that's what you don't want. What do you want? I want to be financially free. Oh, that feels so much better to say. You know, I don't want to be broke sounds crappy and it lowers your energy. But when you say I want to be financially free or I want to be debt free or I want to be doing what I love and making unlimited money from it, now your energy goes up. Now you're focused on more of what you actually want and you're focused with love, you're focused with enthusiasm, you're focused with more energy and you'll go in that direction. So the big tip is 
Yeah, we all know how to complain. What we want to do is turn our complaints into intentions. Take the complaint, reverse it 180 degrees, and state it as what you do want. That's the big tip. Okay. So, Joe, how long does it take to manifest whatever you desire? Are there any... Because uh, everyone wants a quick fix. Everyone wants, you know, whatever they desire really quickly. Is there any tricks or or advice that you could give us? Yeah, there's two ways of looking at this. One is you're going to manifest as fast as you believe it's possible. I'm going to stop there. You've got to manifest as fast as you believe it's possible. So if somebody is sitting there going, oh, that's going to take a long time. Really? Is that a fact? Is that a scientific, measurable fact that what you want is going to take a long time? No. That's your opinion, which means it's your belief. So that's the first layer of an answer. The second layer is, if I dropped an, an, a, um, an acorn nut in your hand and asked you to turn it into a tree, you'd have to wait. You can't do that instantly. You're going to have to plant it, water it, make sure the sun is on it, and maybe every now and then go and pull some weeds. And over time, you'll get it. So you have to have that balancing act of realizing that what you want will come to you based on your beliefs and based on the physical laws of whatever it is that you're looking for. So if you are trying to manifest a tree, you may have to take the seed, plant it, and wait a little bit. But if you are trying to manifest, I don't know, the love of your life, that doesn't have to take forever. We live on a planet with 7 billion people. We've got Facebook and all kinds of ways to instantly connect with people. You can just streamline and find your ideal mate pretty quickly. Again, based on your beliefs, your readiness, your sense of deservingness, and all the other elements that go into this radical life we're talking about. Mm. So what about... uh if somebody wanted to create more abundance, more money, more money, for example, does karma play a part in all of this? Yeah, karma is the law of attraction. People throw karma around like it's some sort of, I don't know, spiritual law. But karma actually didn't even exist as a word until 200 years ago. In many ways, karma is a belief system, too. But when you define karma, it generally means that you're going to get what you've already um, thought and done as a repercussion coming back to you. Well, that's the law of attraction. The law of attraction saying whatever it is you think is leading to what you believe, is leading to what your actions are, and your actions are leading to what you're getting. That's karma. That's karma. It's the law of attraction here. When it comes to money, everything is an inside job, including money, including abundance. I tell people, look, you might be sitting there doing all the right things, you are visualizing money. You are writing a list of affirmations around money. You are thinking of all the great things you're going to do with money. That's all great. But if you think unconsciously that money's evil, money's bad, money corrupts, money leads to greed, you have any of those darker beliefs, you will sabotage your own efforts to bring in money. So it goes back to all of these things I keep coming back to. You have to take care of those inner beliefs. Make peace with money. I wrote a book called Attract Money Now. It's free. Anybody can have it. Go to attractmoneynow.com. You can download it and read it. The whole idea behind it is making peace with money. Money is neutral. When I went to Australia, they dropped their money in my hand. And I looked at it and I thought, this isn't real money. This is play money. 
But in Australia, that money is deemed valuable because that's how everybody was brought up to respect it. In my country, in the USA and in Texas here where I'm at right now, we have a different set of money. But it's still paper. It's still coin. We've learned to project meaning onto it and survival onto it and desperation and success and all kind of measurements onto it. But money is simply paper, coin. It's a device, useful device to fulfill your dreams. But you got to make peace with money first. Mm. So that's interesting because I know that some of the uh, learnings I, I've um, taken on board over time, I understand for me when I actually worked through my values, for example, I didn't have money in my values. And I, when money would come my way, exactly like you said, I would sabotage whatever was coming my way so that I wouldn't have money. But if I think about it, it comes down to parent programming. When I grew up, came to Australia, I was born in France. Um, and so I could see my parents argue around money. Right. So I, I could see that money played a part, even though that we're not consciously aware of it as adults. But at some stage, when you go back in time and go, well, where does this start? You can see it probably started at a very, very young age. But that took me years to even acknowledge that. So what would be that one thing that, that you could uh, give us today that you could connect with that I do have a block when it comes to money? Like how do I identify it? The very first thing I would do is start saying I do not have a block when it comes to money. Because as long as we're saying I do have a block, uh, we're reaffirming it. We're actually stating the block and reinforcing it and rebelieving in it and sending energy to it, as you know. Mm -hmm. So the very first thing would, would be I would rewrite the story. I would rewrite the story right now. The way it is, science is proving that we can't, we're not accurate in our memories as they are. When we reflect back over our lives, we think things happened in certain ways. My father turned 92 years old just a couple weeks ago, and I go to visit him, and we talk about growing up, and we don't match in our stories. <laughs> it's so amazing to, to think that I'm absolutely convinced that it was a particular way. And then when I hear his clear-headed, more adult view of it, because he was more of an adult than I was at that point, I realized that I wasn't remembering it correct. And he may have the same thing. So the very first thing to realize is that we've made a story around money. We've made a story around money that may or may not be accurate, but is probably not serving us. So here's the radical assignment for today. Go and rewrite your story. Tell it the way you wish it had been, but tell it with enthusiasm. Tell it with sincerity. Tell it with completion. Tell it with passion. Tell it with as many visuals that you can put in there. When I was growing up, my father would say things like, you, you want to know how to double your money? Fold it over and put it back in your pocket. Those are the kind of things he would tell me. So when I rewrote the story, I would say, you want to know how to double your money? You take it out and you give it away. And the universe will bring you more money later because you created a vacuum for it. I created a new story. Anybody can create this new story. Instead of fueling the one that doesn't serve you and may in fact be inaccurate, you sit down and you write out a new story. And you start rereading it, maybe even turn it into an autobiography, the new, your new relationship with money. And you write it. You create it. 
So, Joe, are you saying that by um, uh, changing our story, we can start? Are you saying this is the number one secret to manifesting abundance or creating, uh, or, or you know, creating that money quickly? Is to rewrite your story. I, I would. I don't know if it's the number. I don't know if it's the number one of all time, but uh-huh. it is definitely the number one for today. And that's the idea of rewriting your story in whatever field that it happens to be, whether it's money or romance or health or anything else. We want to sit in there and rewrite the story because the story we currently have is based on the beliefs that we've accepted, and it's creating a reality that. Apparently, we don't want. We want to change it. We want to have the relationship. We want to have more money. We want to have better health or whatever it happens to be. So instead of fueling the old story, let's create a new story Mm. in each one of these categories. Yeah. And the other thing I heard, Joe, that you were saying, so it's in the giving that we receive money. Is that right? So we should be of service in some way, shape or form with our money. Absolutely, we should be in service without money. Money is just a means to an end. I like Walt Disney's quote around money where he said, I want to make money from my movies so I continue making movies. It wasn't about making money. He wanted the money to make his movies. His life calling, as he saw it, was to make movies. He needed money to help get that done. So if he made money from the movies, he can continue his life calling by making more movies. It's the same with me. I want to make money from my books so I can write more books. I want to make money from my albums, my music, so I can make more music. It's not about the money. So when we start getting into the idea of service and giving and coming from our heart and living our, our life mission, now we reconnect in the most radical way with, with this pulse of life that is actually trying to take care of us. Now we're more in tune with all of it. We're more in the flow. That's very different to when you want to ask for money for maybe you know, freedom instead of it, it, it being a, for a purpose rather than, like you're saying, you want money to write books. Um, well, Disney wanted money to make more movies. It's very different than wanting money for the sake of having money and then right. for the sense of freedom as well so that I can go and travel whenever I want to travel. Right. Right. Yeah. It's not about money for money's sake. That's where there's a split in a lot of people. A lot of spiritual people put down money and a lot of material people put down spirit. And what we want to do is have an integration here. It isn't that one's bad and the other is better than the other. What we want to do is be at peace with all of it. We want to be able to use money, but not be greedy about money. We just want money to serve. I tell people, look, if you're concerned about pockets of the world that are suffering, the more money you can acquire, the more you can direct it to those pockets. You become a steward for good by channeling the money in the directions that you believe it needs to go. But it's not about acquiring money. It's not about being greedy. It's not about doing anything negative. It's about using the tools that are available to us on a material plane to fulfill our life mission, our spiritual callings, Mm. money included. Yeah. So, Joe, what are your thoughts around, uh, and there's been different teachings, for example, where, you know, you may, uh, for example, and I've experienced this myself, where I've wanted to manifest an ab- abundance or so have a vision board and I'm sitting there asking and praying, please make more money. Uh, and 
what I've learned over time, you come from a place of almost desperation, whether where now I find that I say thank you and gratitude. So yes. how does that play out when you're talking about manifesting abundance? How do you see that play out? Yeah, it's, I'm so glad that you brought that up as an observation because my big insight here, and this is for another radical shift, is that we need to realize that we already have the miracle. We need to realize we already have it. I was uh, in that same place. I was the same kind of person that said, you know what, I'll be grateful when I get the relationship, when I get the job, when I get published. I'll be grateful when these things fall into place. But it took time for me to realize that's backwards, and that isn't how it actually works. When you're grateful now, right now, for everything that's in your life. And we have so much that we're given that we are just oblivious to, that we don't pause to say thanks for, that it's, it's embarrassing. We have so much. It is just stacked in our favor. But when we stop and we accept that and acknowledge that and expand ourselves to realize just what a gift we've been given, then at that point, all the other things we were looking for start to be added to us. When we sit there and beg, we're coming from the exact thing you said, that word desperation. And that feeling of desperation is an energy magnet that brings more to be desperate about. That's the law of attraction. So when you reverse it and you start coming from that sense of gratitude, thankfulness, sincere appreciation for all you have and all you're receiving. Now you're in a different spirit and your vibration is higher and all the things that you were wanting and thinking, well, it'd be cool if I had a car or I had this or I had whatever. They start to show up in your life because your energy is clearer and your vibration is higher. So I think one of the most radical things we can do is actually be grateful right now for the miracle we already have. Mm, and on that, you do have a book called The Miracle, Six Steps to Enlightenment. Yeah. So tell yes. me, what is enlightenment? Yeah, for me, well, that's a great question too. Um, for me, enlightenment is realizing the non-duality of your divinity with the divine. And I don't think I've ever even given that answer that way before. And this is just me being in the moment allowing inspiration to come through. So many of us are separate because we think that, you know, I'm Catherine or I'm Joe or I'm Sue or I'm Thomas, and I'm separate from the world. When we realize that this inner core in me is the same inner core in you and the same inner core in Thomas and Sue and everybody else, we start to realize that we are this, this ocean of divinity. And enlightenment is when you actually live from that. Enlightenment is when you've actually dropped the division and the duality, and now you are one with all that is. Mm. So how does one get there? <laughs> yeah, that's the million-dollar question, right? <laughs> yeah. But in my, in, this is what I say in the book, The Miracle, is you can't make that happen. That comes by grace, but you can prepare for it. You prepare for it, by making time to meditate, making time to be silent, making time to receive, making time to be grateful. All of this is cultivating your inner garden so that you are ready when the divine taps you on the shoulder and says, you're next. 
but you can't make it happen because wanting to make it happen is the mind again. It's the ego saying, wow, wouldn't it be cool if I was awakened? Wow, wouldn't it be cool if I was enlightened? No, that's not how it works. <laughs> that very part that wants to be enlightened actually has to dissolve into the divinity to allow enlightenment. So are you saying for us it would be a daily practice of meditation, reflection, journaling, silence? How does one do that when everything's so fast-paced? Take the phone off. Take your phone off. Take the phone off the hook. Unplug the computer. I have a gratitude hour every day. I get in my hot tub when I'm at home in Texas. I'm under the Texas sky, and I'm by myself. I'm soaking. I'm relaxing. And you know what I'm doing? I'm looking at the stars saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And sometimes I take inventory of what I'm thankful for. So I'm disconnecting from the technological mess that is just distracting us, whether it's TV or radio or the internet. I mean, it's amazing what's available to distract us. And, and, and making time to receive. That's really important, making time to receive. Instead of always asking, always doing, always uh, going after something else or taking phone calls, whatever it happens to be, taking the phone off the hook so I can receive from inside, so I'm available. Maybe that's the best way to say it. So I'm available. And I do that every night and then as many times during the day as I think of it. I remind myself, oh, take a deep breath. In fact, I have a new Apple iWatch, and I like it because every now and then it will say stop, breathe, and then it will walk me through a one-minute little breathing exercise. And I think, wow, what a great gift just to have me. And I didn't even feel chaotic. But when it comes and says time to take a break, I go, oh, yeah, let me take that deep breath. Oh, yeah. And then let me just kind of receive whatever the inspiration or intuition happens to be. So this is how we get to enlightenment is to, apart from meditation, reflection, is to actually have that conscious time to take time out to receive. I believe so. I believe so. We want to receive. There is a divinity. There is a higher... But when we take time to receive at that point, we can, we can get it. Mm. So, Joe, on the road to your success, have you ever struggled with limiting beliefs? And if so, how did you conquer them? Well, absolutely, yes. <laughs> Numerous times and still happens from time to time. So the very first thing I do is to question my beliefs. All right. And we talked about that, you know, things like, is it true? Is it a fact? Where's the evidence for it? Um, so I'll question my beliefs. I'm a big fan of tapping. So the second thing I'll do is emotional freedom technique, the tapping technique. Uh, I learned it from the man who invented it, Roger Callahan. It was called thought field therapy back then. But TFT evolved into EFT, and there's lots of resources. So if somebody doesn't know what I'm talking about, they can easily Google it. There's books. There's movies on it. Uh, the tapping solution is one of them. So that's the second thing I would do. The third thing, I do a Hawaiian healing technique called Ho'oponopono. Mm -hmm. And I wrote about it in two books, Zero Limits, and later in a book called At Zero. Mm -hmm. 
And Ho'oponopono is fascinating, absolutely fascinating. The man who taught it to me helped heal an entire ward of mentally ill criminals in a state hospital in Hawaii using this technique. And basically it's saying four phrases. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. You say them inside yourself while you're feeling whatever the emotion or upset or hurt or whatever the off feeling is. And you're saying it to your connection to what I call the divinity. Uh, ever since my, my latest album came out, I started calling it the great something. So I'll say it to the great something. And I'm saying, I'm sorry. I don't know where the belief came from. Please forgive me or my ancestors, whoever generated this belief. Thank you for releasing this belief out of my system and out of everybody's paradigm. And I love you, which is kind of a reset. I love you takes me back to the love vibration of the universe. So I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you is the third thing that I do. And I do it all the time. I mean, I'm doing I love you. I'm, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you in my head right now. It's my new self-talk. So whenever anything comes up that's a negative belief, I know to question it, tap it away, do a ho'oponopono on it. And then my bonus tip is I started Miracles Coaching because I saw that when you have a coach, you can accelerate your change because you have somebody on the outside of you who can reflect to you what you might be missing. So I started Miracles Coaching to do that. And I'm not, you know, I still use coaches today. If I'm going for something and I'm struggling on my own, I just raise my hand and say, I need help. Somebody help me and get a miracles coach. So those are three or four things that I do on a regular basis. I love that. And I agree that I think that we all have our blind spots and uh, sometimes we're not even aware how we show up until we get that feedback or we have a coach to show us the way. So I'm big on that. And on Ho'oponopono, I did Huna and I'm still doing Huna. And it is, it's one of those things that it is pretty amazing, quite magical. Although I have to say that I did find it a little bit hard to do it with my family, for example. You know, cutting the ties with your son, for example, that I found a little bit um, hard, but I could, I, I understand the concept and I love the concept because, for example, the way that I see it, if you're facilitating a group, for example, and they think about, wow, I was with Dr. Joe Vitale and he was amazing what he spoke about. The fact is that you have all these people that are thinking of you. There's almost these etheric cords attached to you. Yeah drawing right. the energy from you. So when you use Ho'oponopono, it's like you're also reserving your energy. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Is that how you see it? Um, I, I like that, but the way that I go a little bit deeper, a little bit, we'll use the word radical. Mm-hmm. I go far more radical with this because in Ho'oponopono, the way it's been taught to, to me and the way I practice it, is that everybody on the outside is an illusion. Everybody on the outside is a reflection. Everybody on the outside is a projection from me. So if I don't like anything that's going on out there, I can't change them. That's like looking in the mirror and trying to put makeup on the mirror or shave the mirror. That's the reflection. Where I have to do the work is inside me. So anything I look at is actually based on my perceptions. My perceptions are based on my beliefs. My beliefs can be changed. So Ho'oponopono is designed to correct the beliefs 
that are causing me to have these colored perceptions that may or may not be serving me about the outer world. So the big radical insight is that if you want to change that rest of the world, anybody in the world, you do it inside yourself. So if you're not happy with your environment, you then would need to see it in a different light. So you're, like you're saying, your perception is your projection. So therefore, right. if you're not happy with your environment, you need to change the way you think and seeing about it to change your perception and what yes. you think. Yes, because not happy about their environment, they're the ones inside judging it in such a way to make themselves unhappy. So they're looking at it in a, in a particular perception. When they change their perception, and this is the punchline, when they change their perception, the outer environment changes. This is why when Dr. Hulen, the therapist who taught me Ho'oponopono, was at the hospital for the criminally insane, when he changed himself, they got better. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that is. <laughs> so all of them got better. All but one person. There was a ward, uh, I think it had four, floor, or four floors, as I remember, and everybody but one person, according to Dr. Hulan, was released and deemed to be normal to be, go back into society. Only one at that time, and I don't know the story about any of that at this point. Mm, okay. So, so for somebody to – so once you're aware that these are yours – Unconscious limiting beliefs. Your mm -hmm. techniques is tapping, honopono, that kind yeah. of thing. So yeah. for our viewers who uh, doesn't know what tapping is, do you want to talk us through a little bit about that? Because I know <coughs> it's working with your meridians, isn't it? With your yeah. energy. Yes. One definition of tapping is it's psychological acupuncture. Psychological acupuncture. So what it's trying to do is tap on the meridians in your body. If you know anything about acupuncture, they talk about all these roadmaps going through our body that are energy highways. With tapping, instead of putting needles in your body, you tap on your body. So my basic one is, if I, I'm trying to think of an example, if I were nervous about something and I, I would turn it into a statement like, even though I'm nervous about uh, today's interview, which I wasn't, but I'm making up something here. Uh, even though I'm nervous about today's interview, I deeply love, accept, and forgive myself. Now, that's the whole line that I say when I tap. I just replace the word nervous with whatever's going on, even though I'm angry, even though I'm upset, even though I'm whatever. So we'll use that as the example. Even though I'm nervous about today's interview, I deeply love, accept, and forgive myself. Where I start tapping, I want to make sure you see this, is the karate uh, chop part of my hand. And I tap there <clears throat> hard enough, just like knocking on the door. So it's pretty hard. I'm tapping there and I'm saying, even though I'm nervous about today's interview, I deeply love, accept, and forgive myself. Even though I'm nervous about today's interview, I deeply love, accept, and forgive myself. I'll say it three times. Then I will just take the key word that I'm trying to release. In this case, it's nervous. And I move it up to the top of my head. And I'm tapping here saying nervous, nervous, nervous. Then I'll go right here on the inside of my eyebrows and I'll tap and say nervous, nervous. I'll go on the outside of my eyebrows, my eyes, nervous, nervous. I'll go underneath my eyes, nervous, nervous. I'll always say it three times, nervous. Under my nose, above my lip, nervous, nervous. Under my lip, right here in this little cleft, 
uh, nervous, nervous, nervous. Then I'll drop down a little bit here in the shoulder area. It's kind of a tender part. I'm wearing a T-shirt that says expect miracles, which is a radical way of viewing life. And I will put it there and say, I'll rub and tap and say, uh, nervous, nervous, nervous. And that's one cycle. And I might go through it only once and feel like, well, I got rid of that. It's gone. Or I might go through it two or three times, beginning with, even though I'm nervous about today's interview, I deeply love, accept, and forgive myself. What all of this is doing is tapping away the blocks in my energy meridians so the energy can now flow through me and I'm releasing that negativity, in this case it was the word nervous, out of my unconscious mind. And there's a lot of research, a lot of books, there's a movie called The Tapping Solution, lots of resources on, online. I did a product with Brad Yates called Money Beyond Belief, which is all about tapping away beliefs around money. So that's a short version of it, but there's lots of resources out there. Just Google TFT or EFT or The Tapping Solution. So is that the number one secret or best kept secret to how uh, individuals remain wealthy and attract money is tapping? No, I would not say it's their number one secret. You know, I would, when it comes to being wealthy, I would say... I would say that the number one secret is people who are wealthy, I mean, purely wealthy and not just trying to acquire money, they realize that the more they give away, the more they receive. I once wrote a little book called The Greatest Money-Making Secret in History. The Greatest Money-Making Secret in History. And I've always been proud of the title. <laughs> but I laugh because The Greatest Money-Making Secret in History has nothing to do with saving or investing or real estate or banking or any of that. It's all about giving it away. And what I tell people is, because they've probably heard of tithing from their church or a minister or something, it's a little different. I say that you want to give about 10% of what you receive to wherever you received spiritual, inspirational nourishment. That could be a waiter. That could be an Uber driver. That can be an author. That can be anybody. Right. And so I, I tell people, just reflect on where did you get the most inspiration in the last week? Where did it come from? Who was the person or the source? Then reach in your wallet or purse, give 10% of what you received later or recently to that source of inspiration. Doing that is one of the greatest secrets for acquiring more wealth. Because now the universe is going to go and bestow about 10 times or more of that of money to you in unexpected ways. Love that. Love that. Yeah, isn't that cool or what? It is cool. Very cool. So, Joe, as we wrap up the show, we always like to end the show with a bit of some fun questions. So what okay. is the first thing you notice about someone when you first meet them? I think their eyes. I'm always looking for clear, happy, smiling eyes. And you have that. I mean, as soon as I saw you, it was like, oh, she's there. Even though you got up at six in the morning. <laughs> I got up at five, but that's okay. You got up at five to be alert. <laughs> it's, I've had a few of these interviews lately this week, and I have been getting up, um, I think, the earliest at 3.30 in the morning. So it's okay. But thank you very much. That's a compliment. I'll take that. Thank you. Yes, it is. Uh -huh. And, Joe, if you were a superhero, what would be your powers? That's a great question. Boy, I was brought up on Superman, you know, so I've always wanted to be Superman. But I think today I would like to have 
a, a photographic memory. I would love to have this memory that just, at least for the things I want to remember, whether it's songs or passages in books, I don't necessarily need to remember everything, but the certain things where I go, oh, I really want to remember that and click, I got it. That's a superpower I would welcome. Yeah, I could relate to that one. I would love that. Um, what is the number one thing or item that you can't live without? Books. Books. I am a book nerd. I am a book addict. You can't see all the books that are around me, and I got another office, and I got collections, and I love books. I must have books. Books. You have to take, talk me through a day in a life with Joe. You do so much music, books. Uh, how do you, do you specifically take time out in the morning? I might write in the afternoon. I might read like, how does, what's your day look like? Well, the very first thing to be aware of is I get up really early. When you said you get up at three 30, I've gotten up three 30, four o'clock, five o'clock. And usually by six o'clock, I'm always up going past six o'clock means I've slept in and I must be sick because I get up early knowing I can get so much done before the rest of the world even turns over in bed. No phone calls, no interruptions. I got the world to myself. So I love getting up early. I love coffee. I have a great strong coffee in the morning. We have animals here, so I'm usually feeding cats before I get to do anything else because they're insistent on that. They're not gonna let me do much more than get my coffee. (laughs) And, uh, and then I actually go right to work. I'll start writing, whether it's a blog post or it's an email or it's responding to emails, because again, I'm being uninterrupted. And I will do an hour to two hours of that just because I got a nice stretch of comfort, no interruptions except cats. And after that, I'll probably go work out. I have my own gym in the back, which I love. And I'll go and work out in my gym, get my own speakers, music, all of that. So I'm, I have a blast doing it. And then from there, it's going to vary on the day because I may have appointments with fellow musicians to rehearse. I have an upcoming show coming up in Austin in July, uh, making music all the time. I read a lot. I listen to material. Um, I've got numerous projects. I've got people that work with me or for me that I'm getting in contact with. I do interviews like this virtually every day. I'm doing at least one interview. That kind of thing's going on. I travel a, a bit. I was just in Spain. So I don't, you know, every day after at that point, it's going to be different. You know, that's unpredictable. But that's the adventure. That's the journey. That's my radical life. You know, every day is different, but I love it. You are such a creative inspiration, Joe. I don't know how you do it, but it's been amazing. And I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I know our viewers are absolutely going to love uh, this interview, and I'm sure they're going to check out all your books and your miracle coaching. We'll have that all as part of the summit. So thank you so, so very much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you. You're doing great stuff. Greatly enjoyed the interview. Godspeed to all your listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's gorgeous. Thank you so much. Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please click on share show with your friends to help make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world to learn and grow, then the best way to get involved is to click on follow show or leave a review on iTunes so that we can give you a shout out on the show. 
If you have been a long-time listener of the show, you know we are big on delivering content that is valuable for you, content that will address your pain points. So if you have any questions or ideas for a podcast show, please reach out and we will create the content to meet your needs. Yes, you heard right. If you have topics, themes or special guests that you want to hear from, please send us a note to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will create a show especially for you. Wherever you are in the world, sending you love, blessings and peace. Namaste.